with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. On today's show, global executives and officials have been in Shanghai for China's sixth international import expo, and Elon Musk launches a new AI chatbot. And now let's begin with our top story. China is committed to promoting high-level opening up and building an open-world economy. Chinese President Xi Jinping gave the assurance in a message to the Sixth China International Import Expo in Shanghai. More than 3,400 exhibitors are at the expo this year. At the opening ceremony, Premier Li Qiang also affirmed China's commitment to opening its market and sharing its opportunities with the world. CGTN's Gao Ang reports. Building international platforms for overseas procurement, investment promotion, people-to-people exchanges, and open cooperation—those are the objectives of the sixth edition of the CIIE, the world's first import-themed national-level expo held in Shanghai. Since 2018, as the world's first national-level exposition dedicated to imports. The CIIE has kept to its founding mission of opening up China's market and sharing China's opportunities with the world, and actively connected China to the rest of the world. It has played a stronger role as a major platform for international procurement, investment promotion, cultural exchange, and open cooperation, and established itself as an international public good for the world to share. Official data shows this year's expo has attracted participants from over 150 countries, regions, and international organizations, with more than 400 new products, technologies, and services expected to be unveiled. Throughout the expo, major events such as the Invest in China Year Summit and the Symposium on the Road Openness Report 2023 be held. Discussions across various forums take place. With topics ranging from international cooperation in agriculture and the resilience of global industrial and supply chains to new consumption trends and potential. For more on this, join us on the line now are Chu Qiang, Assistant Director of the International Monetary Institute, Renmin University; Liu Baocheng, Professor with the University of International Business and Economics; and also Anna Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. So, Professor Liu, President Xi has stressed China's commitment to high-level opening up and further economic globalization. So, how do you assess this message? Well,、uh, this is really a consistent message. The, it is、uh, also inspiring in the fact that uh, uh, the global landscape uh, is being uh, under a rapid shift, where fragmentation is much、uh, there to、uh, deter. The progress of、uh, the cross-border movements of goods and services, people and technology. So,、uh, therefore, it is、uh, one. It is Chinese commitment to continue to open the Chinese market wider. And on the other, it is uh, uh, a warning that protectionism, isolationism will not really work. 
towards the grand goal set forth by the United Nations on the sustainable development. And uh, it shows that uh, this is really the uh, responsible approach towards the further integration of uh, the uh, different countries and also uh, for the welfare of uh, people around the world. And that is uh, very much in conformity with his uh, grand promotion of uh, the uh, shared the fate for the uh, common community of the mankind. And so therefore, the CIE is really a representation of uh, uh, the best practices that is there to provide a equitable and fair and transparent environment for mm. doing business with China uh, among the rest of the world. Mm. And Aina, so Premier Li Qiang also reiterated the message of opening up in his speech, and he emphasized that China's huge market demand. So how do you think the Chinese market can contribute to the global economic recovery? Well, right now, China is trying to be a consistent, uh, positive force for um, you know, a global economy that depends on choice. And what I mean by that is the, you know, what you buy, how much you buy is really your choice. It's limited, of course, by your um by your wages, uh, disposable income, and things like that. Uh, you've seen inflation uh, ravaging uh, both Europe and the United States. Uh, that has cut back on global demand. Uh, China's trying to restart that through its, you know, the the dual circulation uh, strategy that we always talk about, which is one, uh, jumpstart uh, internal demand within China and use that as a basis to attract uh, foreign investment. So, Professor Chu, now is very crucial moment when the world is really facing fragmentation and globalization is under mounting challenges and multilateralism actually needs to be defended by nations with responsibility. So what do you think is China's role under such a background? Well, I think uh, through the past few years, I think everybody realized that China has a very unique role in uh, this turbulent world. Uh, China used to be attractive as one of the producers, right? Um, we provide all kinds of the uh, products as well as the services to the world market. But right now, I think um, China has been more and more important as say, a market you know, providing the demand to the world. Uh, our world economy used to be based on uh, some major markets. Uh, they have to meet certain standards. For example, they have to be large, uh, territory-wise and also population-wise, as well as they have effective demand, which means their living standard must meet some threshold, as well as uh, they have to be independent and they have stabilities. So I think the first big market is the uh, United States and uh, United States plus uh, Canada and North America and NAFTA. So this actually provided the, basically one of the most important demand for economic growth after the Second World War. And what comes next is uh, European Union, right? A very big, huge population, great demand. Japan and ASEAN nations, they tried, but either they're smaller or they do not meet the uh, you know living standard or GDP threshold. Mm. But now I think uh, America has its uh, you know own challenges as well as the European Union they're facing geopolitical conflicts. So suddenly people find well we have another choice right now China uh, with 1.4 billion of people and uh, with growing middle income class as well as we have a growing income. So let's just take a look at the CIE recently. Um, the traditional buyers the United States uh, Australia they used to buy products on this kind of occasion like Canton Fair. 
But now they become the seller. They try to sell their products in China. So right now we have the tripod situation, which means three legs to support the world economy and world demand. And also, I think there's another plus for China is China is bias-free. We do not force people to choose sides in the political or religious or an ideological, you know, perspective. So、mm-hmm. you can. Just be who you are, and if you just respect the rule and want to do trade, just join China. And here is a bias-free platform. Hmm. And so, Chichang, you mentioned CIIE. Actually, a lot of U.S. CEOs come to this big expo this year. So, what's their sentiment? So, I think、um, if you can take a look at the footage of their interviews, you will find that their smile on their faces are actually genuine, because here. You know when they you know set their foot on China, nobody forced them to answer any of the irrelevant questions. They have no pressure. Here is only business. Here is just to make money, support their company, support their people's living standard, and that's it. Okay, only sport, no game. So, and also they find out they are not here to make some you know small game. They find they sign huge orders. You know the contract is very very lucrative and handsome. And also, they find this kind of the benefit is reciprocal, reciprocal and mutual. So they probably see there, you know, in the coming years, there's more to you know handle. There are more deals to make. So I think all the sentiment and all the vibes are really going great. Mm-hmm. And Professor Liu, actually, over the last couple of months, I think all of us has noticed, you know, perhaps a de-escalation of the tensions, and we've got this expo that is happening. So we have the APEC meeting that is coming up. So people now feel more optimistic. So what are you expecting the、uh, definition of success to be following all these、uh, next few meetings? Well, yes, there has been. A lot of disruptions of the years.、Um, pandemic is one that stops the、uh, smooth communication between people at different levels, and、uh, also the、uh, geopolitical、uh, tension is really a test to the value system of different countries and different political circles. And now、uh, people realize that.、Uh, The、uh, living standard and security of uh, uh, each of the individual peoples、uh, are really on the top agenda, and to shore up the economy is the、uh, hard, fast rule that、uh, everyone has to follow. So、uh, now, given the interdependence of the world, and particularly between the two biggest economies, with the United States versus China. And now the decoupling or even de-risking are really not—they're、uh, fitted、uh, to the reality. So therefore, people are really adjusting their uh, policy uh, with the changed view that、uh, we still need to continue to engage and manage the competition on a fair, equitable basis. So the、uh, frequent visits by so many. Uh, political dictionaries uh, uh, from both the United States and EU shows that uh, uh, they are not really there to play a、uh, completely a zero-sum game, and therefore、uh, the commitment to、uh, show up the、uh, global rules and uh, with the uh, dialogue uh, on a number of platforms are really important. So. I believe that uh, the uh, summit uh, 
between China and the United States, among uh, many other of the state leaders of the EPAC, are going to provide a more positive uh, voice to the world that uh, uh, we do need to work together. And uh, uh, the uh, animosity or hostility will only injure uh, every people they are supposed to serve. Mm. So, Professor Chu, at the Financial Street Forum in Beijing this week, China's financial regulators pledged to expand high-level financial opening up to attract more foreign investment. How do you think is significant is that for China's economic recovery? Well, I think just uh, you have to open up because why people just to try to invest in your country because they feel safe and the policy will be consistent and stable, right? So. When I want to put money in, I put money in. When I just want to、uh, make profit and go, and you can go. So that's how you can attract people. And if you want to make your country bigger、uh, financial-wise, and you have to do so, just take a look at the United States.、Uh, take a look at the uh, UK, uh, Japan. You know, this is what we call、uh, financial center countries. And they, the reason why, one of the reason why they have achieved、uh, such kind of the scale and the depth. In their financial market, and also the maturity in their financial market is because they gradually,、uh, you know, opened up their financial sector. China is doing so、uh, as well. Especially, well, probably you don't know that China is one of the most earliest, you know, opening up、uh, developing nations in the financial sector. For example, in the early 2000s, we have already opened up a banking sector. We are one of the earliest adopter of the Basel III standard、uh, among all the developing nations, and、uh, while、well, giant banks、uh, actually have very important, you know,、uh, foreign stakeholders and、uh, and also stockholders as well.、Mm. So I think we need to do it very cautiously, of course,、uh, gradually, you know, liberate our financial account, but with also universal regulation and also with international、uh, regulation corporations like any other country do in America, Japan also do that as well. But I think when China open up,、um, we will provide the world. I just mentioned, right? China provided a third very important market to the world、uh, in a real economy. But when Chinese financial sector open up further, we're going to provide the world another important destiny for the money. China is already ranked number two in the scale of the bond market as well as the stock market. So、mm-hmm. just imagine. When Renminbi has been internationalized, you can, if you feel your currency is not safe, you can switch them into Renminbi and invest in Chinese financial market and make a handsome gain. But right now, your choice is limited. Probably only U.S. dollar, and to some extent, maybe Japanese yen. So not much of choices. We've been doing this international investment every day, so、mm. we know our hands are tied. Actually, especially when. Uh, there are turbulence happening in the financial market. When the days are good, everything's good. But when days are going down, you probably only have a very, very few products you can choose from. So when China can provide to the world, I think it's going to be great news.、Mm-hmm. And Governor of the Central Bank Pang Gongsheng said that China will keep liquidity reasonably ample to support the economic growth. So, Professor Chu, how do you view China's monetary policy? Well, I think this is actually a very, very special、uh, juncture of the moment.、Uh, monetary policy needs to be very, very cautious and stable. The reason why is that、uh, Americans,、uh, U.S. dollar indicators are at the historic high in the past 20 years, as well as their Federal Reserve interest rate also been at the high ground、uh, for 20 years. So 
but the whole the rest of the world are facing very different scenario. Uh, major countries, major economies are facing high inflation, but also the developing nations are facing stagflation. Some other nations are facing the recession. So some country needs to have loosened up a monetary policy, but some countries still need to tighten up with their monetary policy. China, as the second largest economy, needs to be extra cautious about this. On one hand, we have to provide the stimulus to our economy, so which means we cannot tighten up too much. But also, uh, we uh, need also to hold the horses on the uh, types on the uh, money flow because we don't want the uh, spread of interest to get too large, so that we have well faced the, the risk of the capital outflight. So, cautious will be the key and thin word in the uh, next uh, six months. But I think uh, the silver lining is out there because uh, the Federal Reserve has already showed their concern about the U.S. economy and also monetary policy, which means uh, U.S. monetary policy would not stay that high and that long in the coming three or six months. So they're going to, you know, down to uh, their monetary policy, which will give China and Japan and uh, probably European Union a you know space for the for the breathing. Mm-hmm. Well, we're speaking with Xu Qiang, Assistant Director of the International Monetary Institute, Renmin University, Liu Baocheng, Professor with UIBE, and also Aina Tangen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And after a short break, we'll take a look at Elon Musk's new AI chatbot. Stay with us. D-Dime, a podcast of CGT Radio. We go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. You're listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Back in April, Elon Musk said he was going to launch an artificial intelligence, and this week he did it. Elon Musk debuted Grok, the newest AI chatbot, to hit the market. His company XAI launched the tech to a select group of users to test it out. So, Ina, Elon Musk wants the XAI to challenge actually the companies like OpenAI. So, what set the Grok apart from other, you know, the chatbots? Do Do you think the real-time access to information from X will really give it a big advantage over other models? No, I don't.、Uh, I'm afraid that、uh, when he says、uh, no guardrails, that、uh, kind of reminds me of him.、Uh, it, he's he's saying that you know it, X is full of misinformation. I don't know how you're going to take all this misinformation and make it into、uh, you know useful information. And that's that's part of AI is. Uh, this could be very entertaining.、Uh, you could go on there; it's kind of like a joke. But the joke will wear off.、Uh, other AIs are out there, large language models that are putting forth、uh, substantive,、um, you know,、uh, compilations of data, or they can help you with、uh, pictures or or writing, etc., etc. I just don't know that I'm going to rely on X.、Um, it's just.、Um, Strange.、Uh, here's the same guy who said, you know, <laughs> six months ago, oh, there needs to be a, a moratorium on <laughs> any kind of AI, and has been saying on a monthly basis, 
um, that it's, you know, it's dangerous. We have to be very careful. Even, you know, seven days ago, he was talking about that, you know, this is, this is horrible. It's really uh, something that we have to watch. It could destroy civilization. Mm. And then he comes out with his own um, uh, grok, which is um, <laughs> computer language for this is true. So, Professor Chu, back in March, Musk signed a letter calling for a pause on AI. And just a few days ago, uh, during the UK AI summit, he signed a declaration aiming to combat the AI risks. So he even said during the summit that AI is one of the biggest threats. So what do you make of that? Is it a big threat or is it a helper or both? I think currently the situation for the AI competition is very likely, it's very like, um, you know, what happens with the nuclear weapons and the Cold War. Everybody are yelling, we need to back off on the competition on nuclear weapons. It's dangerous. It's going to be, you know, distinguishing event. But everybody, you know, in the back door, try to, you know, mount up with their own inventory. Everybody is trying to weapon up to their thesis with AI. So I think AI is definitely going to be a very important productive factors, you know, saving people from this repeating and redundant and you know very boring jobs so leaving people more spaces to enjoy their lives and also doing more creative jobs but on the other hand we don't know what's the limit of it because i've been using AI for quite a while i found the most important reason things i you know it bothers me is that they can lie to me you know without a blink of eyes they can just do it in front of my face and make you believe them in them and they do not have moral a boundary. They don't have, do not have the bottom line. That already become a problem for my job. So I stopped using AI to some extent. So Professor Liu, actually, people say a lot of jobs in the world will be replaced by AI. In general, do you think AI is a nightmare for the labor market, or do you think it could help to solve the country's aging society and labor shortage problem? Well, I think that's a very profound question with regard to any technological advancement is going to uh, change uh, the landscape of the job market. And uh, think of that when cars were invented and the drivers for the carrots were replaced and uh, when the more of the automation are uh, taking place on the assembly lines, more of the blue workers are out of their job. So. Now it is really a challenge for those who are uh, late uh, comers in the learning process. They, if they do not really cope with the progress of uh, the uh, technology advancement, and they will be ousted. So uh, AI advancement is there definitely going to re uh, replace a number of uh, redundant and repetitive jobs, and so the and uh, now it's invading into the new territory of the uh, intellectuals. So the, those intellectuals uh, and also those who are dealing with media, etc., are also facing such a challenge. Yes, there are always the uh, fear uh, in front of the uh, introduction of new technology, but uh, they are really uh, on the uh, right trajectory despite of some of the, of the resistance for those inertias. And, this is going to be a submersive sort of uh, uh, technology uh, that's going to spook a lot of people and it's going to create a wider divide among those who are more uh, savvy and agile and among those who are uh, 
late oligarchs. So uh, uh, between people and also between nations. Mm -hmm. Therefore, uh, that's why uh, most of the countries are seeking ways to digitize their uh, uh, their operation and also their management. And but the fact is that uh, uh, there are uh, countries and people who really rush to the frontier to uh, control the rulemaking process. Mm. So, Aina, so do you think that all nations, regardless of their size, strength, or social system, should have equal rights on the AI development? Well, it's not so much about equal rights. Um, it's it's about e uh, development. And there's two models out there right now. You have the U.S. who you know favors the the quote market, um, the large entities uh, running in and grabbing as much as they can, holding the IP. China has offered many nations to jointly develop, um, you know, this technology because, as uh, Professor Liu Baocheng has pointed out, the greatest wealth divider is about to come. Those who have and own the IP uh, that is necessary for the digital economy are going to be the haves, and those who don't will be the have-nots, and they'll be serving the haves. So it's very important. If you want a stabilized world, if you want a shared future, it, it has to be more than talk. You actually have to do it. And that's what China is doing uh, on so many levels, and that's why it's gaining a lot of confidence. You see in the Middle East and Africa, uh, countries eagerly partnering uh, with China uh, and Chinese companies on developing these new technologies and thereby being able to share in them in terms of the IP uh, ownership. Mm. And what's your perspective on how to balance between the national interest and global collaboration in the context of the uh, AI governance, Aina? It has it, there has to be rules. I mean, going going back to what the professor said, uh, we need to have this is like a, a nuclear weapon. We need to have a, a serious sit down. And right now, you have everybody trying to pose and say, "Hey, you should listen to my rules." You know, England they're saying, "Oh, we should be the center of rulemaking authority regarding uh, the internet." They had them a meeting at Betchley Park. U.S. says, "Oh yes, we have a plan. It's our plan. You follow us." Uh, China has put forward a plan, but its plan is much more open. They say, look, we need a forum uh, in order to decide these things, uh, and it has to include everybody equally. And I, I think in the end, three quarters of the world, as evidenced by the Belt and Road Initiative, um, you know, developing nations, emerging nations, they are going to be going towards the Chinese model. They don't want uh, a neo-colonial model where they're being told what they can and can't have and what the rules of the road are. Uh, they want something that they can participate in, and that's going to be necessary. Mm -hmm. Well, we're speaking with Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute, and Xu Qiang, Assistant Director of the International Monetary Institute, Renmin University, and also Professor Liu Baocheng with the UIBE. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.